on a New York Supreme Court indictment returned by a Manhattan grand jury on 34 felony counts of falsifying business records in the first degree. Under New York state law, it is a felony to falsify business records with intent to defraud and an intent to conceal another crime. That is exactly what this case is about. 34 false statements made to cover up other crimes. These are felony crimes in New York State, no matter who you are. We cannot and will not normalize serious criminal conduct. Okay, Sandy Rios with you. That was the voice of Alvin Bragg, which by now his uh, voice probably sounds familiar to many of you. He is the prosecutor in New York uh, City bringing charges against the former President Donald Trump. And most legal scholars you've heard by now say I don't know that there are any exceptions, really, even on the left, uh, have looked at this indictment and said there's no crime there. There's no crime. It's like he's got 34 counts, but there's no crime at the center of it. Well, I'm not here to debate that today, but I'm just making a point that something's happening in law schools everywhere that is creating these uh, attorneys who serve on these corporate boards who are giving horrible advice to their the corporations, causing the corporations to adopt woke policies, uh, things that many of us don't recognize. It's not the practice of law that used to bring order to this country. But when you think about the thing that, like the University of Chicago Law School right now is teaching a course called Public Law in the Time of Trump. I'm just thinking that Alvin Bragg is an example uh, of that. Now today we're going to talk about this because Christian Adams and Hans von Spakowski have been doing a series uh, on what America's law schools are teaching. They've examined the top 10 law schools and they've done an in-depth study. They're, they're, they're just starting it. They've gotten, I think, two, three, uh, three different uh, law schools so far. Uh, but it's fascinating. It's disturbing and fascinating. And you will want to hear this, especially if you have, uh, well, it's affecting all of us. So I think there's no exception. I think you will want to hear this. I want to thank Preborn for making it possible for us to have these discussions. wouldn't be possible without them. Preborn is the direct competition to the abortion industry and the largest provider of free ultrasounds in the United States. By letting a woman see her baby on ultrasound and hear the heartbeat of baby's chance of life is doubled. Over the past 16 years, Preborn partnered with pregnancy clinics in the highest abortion cities and regions across the country, providing life-saving ultrasounds. 65.3% of the nation's number of abortions occur only in nine states. And uh, seven of the nine will continue to provide abortion. And with Florida, they have abortion available and legal up to 15 weeks. So Preborn has their hands full trying to cover all of these major cities and around the country, but they do a wonderful job. And they do that because of your help. So it's $28 for one ultrasound. If you'd like to help, just dial pound on your phone, take it out, and dial pound 250, and then say the keyword baby. I know that's strange to some of us, but this is the way donations are handled now. It's actually very easy. It's dial pound 250, and then say the keyword baby. Or if you want to go online, go to preborn.com slash sandy. That's preborn.com slash 
Sandy. And uh, another thing, of course, if you'd like to call us, you can call us at 662-821-2040. That's 662-821-2040. Or you can write us at Sandy at AFR.net. That's Sandy at AFR.net. Now, you're going to hear a familiar voice and you're going to love it. So sit back. Well, and maybe you can't relax on this one, but listen to the next edition of Sandy Rios 24-7. From American Family Radio, Sandy Rios. We are not called to be nice. We are often called to be confrontational. And here with me in D.C. is Fox News contributor Sandy Rios. I think the most important thing we need to demonstrate to our children is genuineness. That we actually believe what we say we believe. A longtime Fox News contributor, Sandy Rios, thanks very much for being with us. Seek justice. Not social justice, but God's justice. What's right and what's wrong. Sandy Rios is with the American Family Association, a pro-life radio talk show host. We've got to say this is the line. Life is sacred. Director of Governmental Affairs for the American Family Association. Step up. Speak up. Say something. Do something. In the court, a pair of federal judges are taking action after Stanford protesters ambushed one of their fellow judges. Remember this? It's uncomfortable to say that for many people here, your work has caused harm. My job is to create a space of belonging for all people in this institution. This is actually part of the creation of belonging. Judges James Ho and Elizabeth Branch say they won't hire clerks from Stanford Law School after that ambush. Uh, and I should also clarify that this applies to future students, not currently enrolled law students. All right, Sandy Rios with you on Sandy Rios 24-7. Uh, that's a story that you probably saw in the news recently. But it's an interesting story, but it has repercussions way beyond just Stanford. We, I mean, I think we listen to a story like that, and we think, well, California's crazy. They always have been. But this is becoming systemic, this radical uh, radicalization of America's law schools. And so um, our good friend, Jay Christian Adams, has joined me, is joining me today today. Uh, because he's going to talk, he's, he and Hans von Spakovsky, our other good friend in the legal profession, have are writing a series of stories on the top ten law schools in the United States and how you know their curriculum and what they're teaching. It's fascinating, uh, and so I've asked Christian to join us today. Good morning, Christian. Thanks for joining me. It's great to be here, Sandy. Hey, I think our listeners miss you. By the way. Well, I yeah, miss them. They, <laughs> I, I really do. <laughs> well, I really, uh, let me, I should say, I didn't say, but on the morning show, Christian uh, was often my guest and then was morphed into uh, a host who happily stepped in when I had to be gone and uh, then had the show for a while while I was gone. So you guys know him well, at least the morning show people do. And so I'm very happy to have Christian. But let me give him a better introduction because others of you don't know anything about him. Uh, Christian is the president and general counsel of the Public Interest Legal Foundation. They are working all over the country on voter integrity, and we've talked about that with him, but that's that's kind of gives you an idea. He's also um, on the U.S. Commission on Civil Rights, which is a very interesting place for him to be. Uh, he did work, when I first knew about Christian, he was working in the Justice Department voter section, 
and he became a whistleblower and wrote a very uh, New York Times best-selling book about what happened to him there. He is currently a columnist for PJ Media, but he writes everywhere, and he's seen on television often because he's sought out for his opinions, and we're very fortunate to have him as a friend and as a guest. So, Christian, thank you again. Let's talk about what happened at Stanford. Now, I've watched the videos. It's pretty fascinating. Can you, first first of all, can you give us just a, a thumbnail sketch of what Stanford's reputation has been in the past? Where do they, where do they, in the pecking order of law schools, where have they been? Well, they're ranked number, uh, number one, or no, no, number two behind Yale. So, uh, in the pecking order, they are at the top as far as what people perceive to be elite. Yes. Yeah, so w- what happened in this particular incident that was referred to by that Fox report is that J- Judge uh, Kyle Duncan of the Fifth Circuit came to speak. He was invited by the Federalist Society. And um, maybe you could describe, Christian, what happened. I'm sure you followed that. If you can't, I'll fill in some of the blanks. Tell people right. what happened. Well, look, he, the Federal Society brings prominent speakers in to speak to law schools and present a more conservative point of view. And he got there and was shouted down. The, the students started uh, essentially mutinying and rioting and screaming and all sorts of slogans being shouted at him like robots uh, didn't let him speak. And one of the deans that were there uh failed to get the situation under control. Uh, and basically, it was a complete breakdown of, of discourse at Judge Duncan's speech. And you might say, why? Why were they doing this? Well, because he's conservative. He's pro-life. He believes in the Constitution. Uh, all of these things that for how many decades and centuries every American pretty much shared as a principle. But now these days, if you believe in these things, uh, you, uh, you're, you're the target for this. So then even worse, the dean of the law school wrote an article or wrote a letter uh, saying we believe in free speech, that everybody should be allowed to express their opinion. And then she, too, was ostracized by the students who turned their backs on her as she walked down the hallway in some Maoist sort of uh, cult-like uh, uh, shunning of her uh, after she defended free speech. So that's what's going on in the nation's second-ranked law school. Yeah, you know, one other interesting twist there uh, in this, in his attempt to talk to these students, uh, my understanding is that, of course, uh, the activists, shall we say, students had a heads up and they came and filled the room and just shouted him down and did all kinds of rude things. And then in the audience was Dean, a Dean Steinbach, who is, yes, a Dean, but she's the Dean of Diversity. Equity and inclusion, which fill in the blanks, we all know what that means. I found it really interesting, Christian, that in her interruption, when she took over the podium from him, she, I don't know if you heard it, it was like a, it was bizarre. She talks about feelings. She almost cries. And the judge is standing there like the rational person that he is, like kind of trying actually not to smile, which is what I would do too, because it was so ridiculous. Uh, but she takes over, and at the same time that she's uh, interrupting his free speech, she makes a long uh, speech about how she believes in free speech. It is a very bizarre thing that happened in the number two law school in this country. But you and Hans have been doing a study now of the 10 top law schools in the country as listed by U.S. News and World Report. Now, you your first uh, ser- in the series was on Yale, right? Right. 
Neil's and number so, one. Yeah. So tell, give us a thumbnail sketch. What's what what's going on at Yale in terms of the law school? Right. And I want to make sure everyone listening understands something important, Sandy. This is not just some sort of quirky zoo show going on in in Yale and Stanford that you can read about, like in the in the tabloids. This is going to affect your lives because the people who graduate from these law schools become the elite power holders, whether they're clerks on on Supreme Court or Court of Appeals, whether they're staffers of the Senate Judiciary Committee, uh, writing up legislation to protect life or to not protect life, uh, whether they're in positions of power in corporate America. These are the people cooking up the wokeism in corporate America. So this is not some sort of esoteric thing. I just want to make sure everybody understands that. This this affects your lives and the lives of your children, because these people are going to be in power 20 or 30 years from now. I, I think you probably agree with that. Of course I do. And I, I was absolutely going to make the same point. And I will make it maybe again later, because right, people need right. to understand. Well, well, sorry well, for making it for you. So let's talk about no, you. No, no, that's okay, because, uh, because I was uh, going to mention uh, one of the biggest cases we're actually all watching is the one of Alvin Bragg. Uh, New York City, who is, you know, um, bringing, what, 36 charges against a former president for a non-crime and seems proud of it. And then non-charges against everyone else in New York who's committing crimes. That's exactly right, Sandy. And and look, I can jump right into Yale because one of the things they teach there is a whole series of classes about challenging mass incarceration and challenging criminal law and challenging... Uh, all of these sorts of laws. They actually have a course at Yale. This is the you, strap in because you're going to think I'm kidding you. They have a course called Decentralized Resistance. That is the name of the course. And they study things like squatting, graffiti, military desertion, and mutiny. And, and not in the sense that they're wrong, but in the sense how they're part of a social phenomena that we can value. And, and, you know, if you ever needed a better example of how these these law school classes are designed to tear apart the structures that propped it up this civilization, decentralized resistance at Yale is uh, right at the top. So are you saying that they t- are teaching the law students to participate or they're doing the history of this or the method? I mean, do you know? I mean, is there a distinction yeah. there? Well, in, in my series at PJ Media, I try to throw in course descriptions from some of these things because nobody would believe it if I told them this is what the course is described as. It says, we study claims, as a quote, about everyday resistance, everyday resistance, that most social movement organizations are the result of accumulation and coalescence of everyday resistance. In other words, most change agents, most things that are positive start as everyday resistance. And that the accumulation of numerous acts of everyday resistance, this is from the course catalog, can precipitate quasi-revolutionary change. This is right out of the Yale course catalog in a course teaching graffiti, military desertion, and mutiny. That's just... I know. I, I, I breath... I mean, that's right out of the Mao uh, Cultural right. Revolution playbook. I oh, mean, this is. is the tip of the iceberg, Sandy. Uh, I mean, uh, okay, yeah. well, all right. So I guess we have to, <laughs> you know, dig deeper as if, as if we wanted to. So Stanford, we've had a taste of Stanford. Is there anything further that you discovered about Stanford, the number two uh, law school, that you want to share that didn't revolve around that incident? Right. So, so uh, Hans von Spakovsky 
covered Stanford because we're, we're, we're leapfrogging each other. I, I okay. do the odds and he does the evens. But <laughs> okay. uh, so Hans, Hans did number two and uh, they have a mandatory first year course. This is the second rank law school in the country. Uh, it's a mandatory. And this is the one where Judge Duncan was was assaulted. Uh, remember the same exact one. Yep. They have a course that every single first year law student has to take. And here's the name of it is. And then I'll tell you a little bit about it. It's called Rationalism, Contrarianism, and Bayesian Thinking in Politics. Wait, Bayesian what kind of thinking? thinking. Uh, Bayesian, B-A-Y-E-S-I-A-N. And, and what it is, it's about the philosophy of the San Francisco Bay Area elites. Bayesian. <laughs> no, I know. You think, folks think I'm making this up. You can I'm read this sorry, stuff. I'm sorry, well, you know what? The thing of it is, uh, when I was a kid and uh, communism was raging in Russia and they were our great enemy in the Soviet Union, uh, we used to laugh about the things that they would say and the way they would teach and the lies they would tell their people we couldn't understand. How could people fall for that? Yeah. And uh, now you, and I do remember also the Russian people had this really dark sense of humor uh, when you could hear things that they were saying or cartoons and things their way of dealing with it was a very dark humor, and I'm beginning to understand that. I mean, this is just yeah. so bizarre. How else do you respond and keep your sanity? It is well, laughable, it get, but it's dark laughable. The course description on this mandatory first-year class, which means everybody who goes to Stanford Law has to take this, says that it, it plunges into a movement of thinkers that has emerged in the San Francisco Bay Area obsessed with cognitive biases and Bayesian reasoning, and it analyzes their, quote, effective altruism, as well as the movement's promotion, let's, let's strap in on this one, polyamory and group living. In other words, like it's like, it's like polygamy, like having multiple yes. partners. Right. This is yes. literally in the course catalog at Stanford um, Law School. Literally, okay. I, 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 mean, I didn't have to. I, I, I didn't well, have to do a James O'Keefe here. I just pulled it right out of the course description at the law school. You know, maybe perha perhaps another part of this podcast, I'll pull out some of the uh, a portion of Dean Steinbeck's statement at the at the uh, podium because it is it's like the it's like a bizarre things coming out of her mouth that right. re, that are like what you're talking about right now, but you're actually hearing it from the well, the horse. Should I say the horse is the dean's mouth. So, um, all right, so. Let's go to number three, because this is a gut punch for me. I'm from Chicago, Christian. Christian, that's our hometown. It's been a great town. It was before, you know, the mess that ensued. It was a great city. And the University of Chicago was, you know, a shining, to reuse the words of Ronald Reagan, it was a shining light on the hill uh, for universities. Just the creme de la creme. Uh, but this is number three, and you have found some really bad things at University of Chicago. Can you tell us about that? Right. And in defense of Chicago, look, one of the theses of my article is they don't teach law anymore. That's actually the name of the series. Do they teach law anymore? And in most places, you know, you go to law school. When I went to law school, we learned contracts towards property and civil procedure your first year. But in places like Yale and Stanford, they replaced it with this garbage we've been talking about. At least Chicago law school still has a normal first year. OK, but after the first year, it goes nuts, too. And there's a professor there called Marianne Case. Uh, this is a radio show, but if you close your eyes, you could probably imagine this professor. She teaches all of the, the, the gender bending, regulation of sexuality, LGBT law. Uh, all of this stuff is heavy 
on the menu at Chicago, of course. Uh, but but that's not the end of it. I mean, they have clinics where they uh, the, the they go out and help lawyers in projects. And of course, most of them are all left wing. You know, the Immigrant Rights Project, the Poverty and Housing Clinic, the Environmental Law Clinic, where uh, but then they have a course called Emotions, Reason, and the Law. Uh, you know, Emotions and the Law. And so it tries to teach you the role of emotions uh, in the law. Now, I will submit that that isn't what the law is about. That's one of the few areas we try to detach from emotions, isn't it? If you're, if you're on, tr- in, on trial for something, you don't want the jury to be driven by emotions. Uh, but that's a central part of Chicago. Of course, they have critical race studies. I mean, they call it that. The, uh, the, they're obsessed with DEI, diversity, equity, and conclusion. They even have a way you can report to authorities anybody who transgresses from the DEI orthodoxy. It's actually like a hotline to call and re- report your fellow students. It's all $106,000 a year too, Sandy. And unfortunately, in many cases, the taxpayers end up getting on the hook for this because of loan forgiveness under Biden. You know, I was just reading, uh, Richard Davis Hansen has been writing about this too. And he was writing about Stanford having what's called, you probably know, the snitch list. Right. Uh, and they have software that monitors campus speech and even offer financial rewards for finding, reporting, anyone supposedly violating the approved language usage. Mao, Mao, Mao. This is straight communism. Maoist communism. And, it's and I call I'm sorry. I, I call them throughout the series proto-totalitarians. Proto-totalitarians. They're like embryonic totalitarians because the people who go to these elite law schools at Harvard, Yale, Stanford, they're going to be the people in charge in 20 years. They already are in many instances, as you know, around Washington and especially in court systems. Uh, and so these little Maoists who, who are learning a legal education very different than anything before it for two centuries are going to be the people in power. And that's the most frightening part of this. And this is why Hans and I are doing this series at PJ Media. Yeah. You know, I've seen writings about this. I've seen information about this, but I can't quantify it. But I think the natural conclusion for part of this is that these students, I'm guessing, don't have any hardly any knowledge of the Constitution of the United yep. States. Well, and the knowledge that they do have, they want to dismantle it. They actually view the Constitution like the other progressives as an impediment to their utopian dreams. There is another, we mentioned Alvin Bragg, and that reminds me of this other course that you highlight at University of Chicago called Public Law in the Time of Trump. A course called Public Law in the Time of Trump. <laughs> yeah. No, I couldn't believe what I saw. You know, when you sit down to write an article like this uh, and you have to go harvesting from the course catalogs, you're a little nervous because you're like, is there going to be material out there? Am I going to have enough to write a piece? And then it just starts tumbling like Niagara Falls at you. And this was one of them. And the course description says, uh, recent events, including President Trump's controversial policies and nationwide protests over police brutality, have, have strained institutions in the United States. And so then what they do in this course at Chicago Law School is invite all these left-wing academics to teach via Zoom, I might add. It's all remote, and they, they just pile on these crazy anti-Trump law professors to come and teach the class. 
I mean, it, it's astonishing that they're getting course credits for this. And it certainly isn't helping anybody learn how to practice law. And that's what law schools are supposed to be about, is you learn these treasured institutions we have of right to jury trials, limited government, the meaning of contract, uh, what does property rights, what do they mean? And instead, they're just replacing it with Marxism. Well, and another aspect of this that you point out, I think, again, I'm sorry, I'm going to pick on poor Alvin Bragg, but you mentioned, as needs to be mentioned, that he's not prosecuting crime in New York, and neither is the uh, prosecutor in Chicago doing the same thing. We have a St. Louis, same thing. Oh, because these are people that were uh, supported financially and elected in part, at least, uh, by money from the George Soros uh, Bank of Destroying the United States. Uh, so that makes... And crime, of course, and I'll pick Chicago because my, it's my hometown. Crime has skyrocketed. It's just, it used to be such a safe city, Christian. Beautiful. We used to go down. They have a huge uh, Fourth, uh, Fourth of July celebration. It's on the 3rd, but it's a whole festival, music. And you go down on the waterfront uh, and I, with hundreds of thousands of people, I did it every year, and you were safe. You were safe when you left, safe on the train, safe walking through the city. I've, I've walked through the city. I've lived in the city. It's always been, for the most part, and now there is crime, but the police have really held it down. Now it's unleashed. They just elected another mayor who is to the left of Lori Lightfoot. So meanwhile, back at the ranch across town at the University of Chicago Law School, we have a course on the history and theory of policing, and also civil rights and police accountability. So what about those courses? Are right, they they're all set up. The <laughs> right, they're, they're, they're set up to make the police and the law enforcement apparatus the enemy, that they're the bad people, and they talk about, and what when it gets right down to it, Sandy, they're dealing with cases, like stop and frisk, Terry stops. These are terms lawyers will recognize. What can the police do? And for example, a Terry stop. It, it, not long ago, it was accepted that if the police thought criminal activity was afoot, that they're allowed to pat somebody down on the street before they talk to them on the principle that when they talk to them, the, the other person doesn't pull out a gun and shoot the policeman. So you were allowed just to pat down to make sure they weren't carrying weapons. Well, this is like running around with a, a, a Klan hood on. If you want to do a Terry stop, you aren't allowed to do it in many places now. It's viewed as racist if you pat somebody down to see if they're carrying a weapon before you speak to them. Uh, it, it's little things like this where they teach courses that Terry stops are bad, that cash bail is bad. And I see this on the U.S. Commission on Civil Rights also. Uh, and so they're trying to deconstruct these long established principles of criminal law. And really, it's Marxist because. The principle of Marxism, and you know this, Sandy, is your guilt or innocence depends upon your politics and your demographics. That yes. if you're a good Marxist, then you're innocent. And if you're a, 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 a royalist, a czarist, a white Russian, uh, a capitalist, then you're guilty. And, and so your guilt or innocence derives from your ideology, not your actions. Well, the other part, too, that's disturbing, and we, I think we saw this, at least it became tangible for most Americans during COVID, where people are watching other people. We're being watched, watched for whether we distanced, watched for whether we masked, you know, your neighbors, your friends, your people in the grocery store, you're being watched. And this is also that the heart of 
well, I'd say Maoist communism, but it's also Russian. It was Russian where they have kids report on their parents. Uh, and we have a taste of that. Now we've got law schools actually implementing ways to report fellow students who don't have the proper thinking. It's, it is a frightening thing. And I want to cover one other segment before I ask you some general questions. There at University of Chicago, I shouldn't be surprised because I, in doing radio in Chicago for so many years, Christian, I remember they used to have sex week at all these major universities, at Northwestern, at University of Chicago. And you may or may not know about this, but they did the most graphic, uh, disgusting things. I did. They had students that really fought back, and they were my guests. And this was in the 90s. So this shouldn't surprise us, but it does. There is this whole, this whole course and different, different courses on sexuality. Can you just speak to that? Yeah. It, well, like I said, if, if you get tired of... Uh if you get bored with all the courses at Chicago on race, there's plenty of courses about sex. Most of them taught by this professor, Marianne Case. And I want to say her name a couple times, because if you go to her Twitter feed, Sandy, which I linked to in the article, you'll see exactly who she is. Uh, I mean, as I say in the piece, she rails constantly on Twitter against Catholics, conservatives, MAGA, Trump. I mentioned Catholics some more. Uh, Justice Amy Coney Barrett, Republicans are Nazis, she hates coal, and more uh, than she rails again, of course, against Catholics. It's like they're living inside her head, I guess. And, you know, she she has a bunch of courses there. Uh, like I said, if you click her Twitter link, you'll see what I'm talking about. And she explores, quote, the many ways in which the legal system regulates sexual identity, gender, and considers regulation in a number of substantive areas. Uh, in, in other words, she is trying to deconstruct the basics. She's trying to teach courses so students know how to argue against laws that basically say men are men and women are women. Mm -hmm. And so this is where it starts. It's in the law schools. Yes. Obergefeld and Bostock, two big gigantic Supreme Court cases on, on, on uh, marriage and gender. They started in law school clinics. They didn't come out of you know, left field. They were part of a strategy that the left had for a long time. And it starts in classes like Marianne Case at University of Chicago. And I'm sure she's proud of that, by the way. If she heard this, uh, sure hi, Marianne, is. if you do listen, she's proud of this. This is, this is what they live for. All right. So a couple of more questions before, I, before we say goodbye here, Christian. There's so much here. I think uh, first of all, do you see on these campuses uh, any students or any kind of resistance to this or any kind of a stand being taken by more conservative students? That's a fantastic question. And <clears throat> I will tell you that, and, and you know, sometimes we have to say some rough stuff about our friends. I believe that the reaction of the conservatives on these schools by design has been inadequate has been timid. And I believe that when there's a bully on the block, you have to punch back. And I've experienced this. Uh, I was a speaker. I was invited by Duquesne in Pittsburgh, the Federal Society there to speak. And they went crazy over me, the left did. And then I was disinvited. Uh, this was a number of years ago. Uh, I think that the conservative groups at Stanford and I just did a piece on Northwestern about something called a big gay dance party they had. It's a whole nother story. Uh, the conservatives of these schools have got to start punching back. They can't just take the high road 
you know, the, I like to call it, Sandy, there's a term I use. Maybe you can borrow it and steal it from me if it's good enough. They're the people who are complaining that their baggage isn't traveling with them on the train. Now, I don't know if you get the historical illusion, but in 1942 and 43, there was a whole lot of people who were rounded up and at the train station, they would complain that their baggage is being separated from them. Remember? It's like, wait, that has to travel with me to Auschwitz. That's my bag. Now, I'm not That's... comparing this to Auschwitz. Let's be clear. But this legalism, like this, this, I'm better than that. You must follow the rules stuff. It's not working. There has to be a better response to this. Yes, I think so too. So another question similar. What are conservative students doing? Where are they going? What is the remedy for them right now, if any? Well, they're going to National Review the Corner. They're going to Ed Whelan's column. They're going to, uh, you know, various media outlets that are sympathetic. Um, but I like the approach that happened at Stanford. I forget who did it. It was Washington. Maybe it was it was Epic. It wasn't Epic Times. It was Washington Free Beacon, I think. They took pictures of the students who were doing the protesting and screaming, and they posted them and identified who they are. So this follows them as long as they live in their legal career. Uh, wow. They put their names out, and, and I, I'm a big fan of that. Yeah. All right, but uh, are there any law schools left that you think are still in the conservative realm who are actually teaching law, uh, teaching the Constitution? Are there any left? This is a great question, too, and, and Hans and I allude to this in the article um, I'm not saying it's perfect, but if I was going to go to law school and I wanted to learn how to practice law instead of deconstruct the United States, I would go to a school like Pitt, or I went to South Carolina, or University of Georgia, uh, Tennessee, uh, maybe Wake Forest, uh, University of Florida, uh, University of uh, uh, St. Mary's in San Antonio, Texas. I mean, I could do a whole show on the places that have not totally lost their minds, uh, and there's lots of them out there, probably Duquesne in Pittsburgh. And I'm, I'm just, you know, you're putting me on the spot, so I'm trying yeah, to, yeah, that's I'm right. geographically Liberty trapped here. Liberty Law School is one Liberty, of those. Liberty, right. Schools. Go to yes. Liberty, go to Regent, <laughs> yeah. go to, frankly, almost any school in the South that's not uh, uh, Duke or UNC or uh, um, uh, Vanderbilt. Uh, go to a school that teaches you the law. Make sure they have property contracts and torts the first year, not you know, reason and, and uh, the Bayesian rationalization philosophy, um, you know, which you only get at Stanford, of course. And I'm going to step out here. I've said this before. Um, what do I know? But if I had a student who was top of their class wanting to do law, I would not send them to Harvard or Yale or no Stanford. Way. That has to stop. You yes. cannot keep sending your kids to these places where their minds are twisted and they end up turning against you, your family, your country. Don't do that. Yeah, and part, so, of don't doing, part of not doing that is no longer sit there silently when somebody talks about how great Harvard is. And, yes. and I'll, you know, that's one of the reasons we're writing these articles is so the truth gets out there about how bad they actually are. They're not teaching you to be a good lawyer. They're teaching you to be a lousy lawyer. And we need to stop pretending that Harvard and Yale and Stanford are good law schools. Not, they're not. They're lousy. They attract <laughs> brats to them. You know, I have to tell you, I have to close with this story, Christian, because this, I have to tell you this story. I was in Chicago uh, at a political meeting, and there were only like six of us invited, and Mitt Romney was running for president, so he was coming there to lobby us to support him because we supposedly had this influence. And we did. 
I challenged him on something. I won't even go into that. But when I challenged him, he lost his temper because I asked him a really tough question. And I, he started screaming at me, literally. And he said, one of the things he said was, I have a degree from Harvard Law School. Yeah. And uh, there was a, 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 a an attorney from Chicago. I can't, he's, anyway, I, see him, I can still see him sitting there in his white shirt and a bow tie and a striped jacket, you know, very, very erudite. And he said across the table from me, because I knew him well, he said, maybe that's the problem. Yeah. <laughs> and so, right. and with that, the meeting that, that Mitt Romney had to be dragged out by his aide because he was out of control. But I'll never forget that. I have a degree from Harvard Law School. It should say something to us that even then, uh, it probably is just as you describe, it attracts brats. And I think probably Mitt Romney was one of those. But it's not just something that's happened overnight. It's been happening over the course of decades and we have to be aware. So, Christian, thank you for your information. This is a series in PJ Media, right? It is, and it's it's continuing. I think Hans is on deck uh, with Harvard. I think it's Harvard is number four. So it's going to be going on for a couple of weeks, and, and uh, you can find it there. It's called Do They Teach Law Anymore? Okay, wonderful. Christian, thank you so much today. Christian Adams, good friend and a national treasure. Thank you, Christian. Thanks, Sandy. You have a great day. This is Sandy Rios 24-7 on American Family Radio. Wow, that was a lot to think about, wasn't it? Uh, And I've asked Bruce to join me to talk about what we just heard from Christian about what's happening in law schools because uh, Bruce not only is uh, a retired FBI agent, he was a prosecutor in Cook County, went to law school at University of Illinois, and I'm going to ask him what he thinks in just a second. But let me just say that preborn's life-saving work will continue at a greater level as they fight the abortion giants who receive increased government and corporate funding as women continue to have unplanned pregnancies. Preborn clinics stand strong, offering love, support, and compassion to hurting women, helping them to make the right choice. And you are doing your part by helping preborn and helping just fund the ultrasounds. It's $28 for one, but any gift will help. $140 will sponsor five ultrasounds, and all gifts are tax deductible. Just dial on your phone, pound 250, and say the keyword baby. That's pound 250, and say the keyword baby, or go to preborn.com slash Sandy, that's preborn.com slash Sandy. All right, I've asked my sweetheart to join me. Hi, honey. Good morning. Well, uh, we just heard the most incredible things. The last uh, third law school on the list for Christian and Hans in their series about what law schools are actually teaching is the University of Chicago Law School. And it was so distressing to hear how bad University of Chicago Law School has become. But it made me think of you, Bruce, because you went to the University of Illinois Law School, which is also very prestigious, um, and you are an alumni, and you keep in touch, sort of, with what's going on there. So how, what's your read on what's happening there? My read is that uh, the University of Illinois may be at a little bit slower pace, but uh, nonetheless falling right in line with these law schools that are going totally woke. Um, Every month I get an alumni email and the entire thing is about nothing but victimhood and celebrating our alumni uh, that have gone on in their legal career to quote-unquote fight victimhood, uh, represent 
illegal immigrants, um, get people out of jail early, uh, represent just hardened criminals. And I know that needs to be done, but they, they just celebrate that. And I can tell you, you never see anything about an alumni that has gone on, an alumnus that has gone on and become a prosecutor, a law enforcement official, uh, someone of that nature. It's very upsetting to you, isn't it? It really is. I, I can barely open it every month, and it just keeps getting worse. Yeah. Um, when you were a young man and you went to law school there, Bruce, you didn't weren't very political, you would say yourself, at the time. Uh, but you picked up stuff even then, did you not? Oh, absolutely. Um, I was totally apolitical, but I was from a conservative um, viewpoint, and that was completely poo-pooed. Uh, even in the early 80s when I was going to law school, um, we would start into discussions, and I would listen to these people try to reason something, and of course it would be, I guess you'd call it a pre-woke version of liberalism, and I would just start shaking my head. And I'll never forget, we had a, a, a young lady that was from Pinckneyville, Illinois, a small town down in southern Illinois where both you and I were born, and we had a lot of people in the classes that, I'll just be honest, that were snobby from big cities, a lot of them from Chicago, a lot of them from very elite colleges. And this girl would get up and just waylay them with common sense, conservative viewpoints on arguments. Yes. So she was, she was the lone voice, right? She was, she was the, the lone, lone voice. voice. Yeah, so the point would be, I suppose, that this is not new. It's been going on for a long time, as is much of the sexuality, the LGBT movement, the radical homosexual movement. This stuff has been... Uh, the the ingredients have been going in the cake now for decades. And so, Houston, we have a problem. This is yet another one, but I think the practical thing is what I just said a few minutes ago, and that is stop sending your kids to these schools. While we still have a choice, and we do, stop sending them to the schools. And it's not hard to figure out where they stand, especially now with this series by Hans and Christian. You can now have a, something in writing about the 10 top schools and uh, what, you know, if any of them are worth considering. So, honey, thank you for joining me on that. You have another word? No, but I, it, I would say it's my pleasure, but in a way it's my disturbing because I'm watching this roar down the tracks, and lawyers are really becoming like hitmen against the conservative movement. Um, it, just the other day... Um, Representative, um, I can't recall his name. Uh, oh, Comer, Representative Comer, uh, le- just laid into uh, Jamie Raskin uh, during the hearings they're having on this Biden laptop, and and uh, he called him. You are, he told him, you are nothing more than a lawyer for the Biden family on this committee. And I thought Jamie Raskin is a perfect example of the type of people that we're turning out of these law schools right now. Yes. And I think the point that needs to be underscored on that is this isn't just something that's happening to an isolated group of students who are smart enough and capable enough to go to law school and their families. No, 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 no. This will affect all of us everywhere in our country. It is right now. And so uh, thank you for listening. We appreciate it so much. And again, if you have a comment or a question, you can call us at 662-821-2040. Or you can send us an email at sandy at afr.net.